And that's kind of like saying, be taller and be prettier while you're at it. Why not? You know, taller would be nice. Your listeners can't see me, but I, you know, I strive to be five feet one day. Oh, nice. Yeah. They interviewed me on a giant sofa. If I sat back on the sofa, I would have looked like a Oompa Loompa because my knees wouldn't have gotten anywhere near the edge. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free products and books that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. And if you're new to the show but you want to know where to begin or find out more about what we teach here at our Art of Charm Live programs here in L.A., you can go to the website and we'll email you a starter kit of all the top podcasts here on Art of Charm. We'll also send you the fundamentals such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, business networking, negotiation, relationship management, and breakups, all that stuff we wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. And we have our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys here this week from Denmark, the UK, Australia, and of course the US and Canada. Details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp or give us a call here in the office, 888 413 7177, or email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I do read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today, we're talking with my friend, Michelle Letterman. We're going to talk about creating connection, of course, getting clarity on your personal brand and how you show up to others, not networking for needs. So familiarity, follow-up, how to stay in someone's mind without getting in their face, and bringing value over the long term, as well as focusing on the relationships that you enjoy. So enjoy this one with Michelle Letterman. So first of all, tell us exactly who you are and what you do, because so many people do that whole thing where they're like, Michelle Letterman is an author. You, yeah, you are, but that's not what gives you credibility, right? Why should anybody listen to you? That's what I'm really trying to ask. You know, the first thing I wanted to say is that I'm a recovering CPA, and I really am recovering from it because I still audit my myself, my, my bookkeeper, my accountant. I audit all of them. But what do I do? I help people and organizations communicate with confidence, clarity, and connection to get them the results that they want, whether personally or professionally. Okay. And so let's define those terms, right? Because oftentimes people go, oh, Jordan, I can't believe your company does what it does. I mean, all guys have to do is just like be confident. And that's kind of like saying, be taller and be prettier while you're at it. Why not? You know, taller would be nice. Your listeners can't see me, but I, you know, I strive to be five feet one day. Oh, nice. Yeah. So so confidence is great. It's a great buzzword, and it means a lot in context and nothing without it, right? You know, there's a lot of research that shows that confidence is one of the most persuasive things. You have to believe you first. But it, what is it about us that we're believing? And is it our stories, our messages, our brand? So I, I think you're right in saying that that does need to be defined. But we can also, we can fake confidence. Okay. Should we be doing that? You know, I actually was listening to one of your podcasts today where we talked about the, the body affecting the mind and the mind affecting the body. And I do think that there is a chicken and the egg story with confidence. And sometimes, you know, if you listen to some of those things, if we can trick our bodies into feeling the things we want to feel, if we're in a bad mood and we just smile and put that smile on for a little while, we'll start to feel better. Sometimes I do use the idea of act as if. 
which people will complain is contrary to my first law of likability, which is authenticity. But the truth is finding that authenticity within the acting as if. Okay, gotcha. Because I have sort of a love-hate relationship with the whole, like, mind follows a body, body follows mind. It's so true, right? But it's like, where do you start? And then also, if you're acting as if, then where does the mindset change come into play? And and I love that because it does work, but it's so hard to explain. And whenever you're explaining it, it sounds like you're talking about, you know, meditate on this grasshopper. And people are like, ah, it doesn't work. It can't do that. Because if they don't really believe them first, right? Like you said, you need to believe you first. If you're going in going, I'm going to pretend like I believe me, it kind of doesn't work. And and we can see through if you know that you're doing it. And that's why the clarity comes in first. So we say clarity, confidence, connection in, in whatever order you want. There are the three pillars to your results. You need to be clear on what you're trying to accomplish in order to accomplish it. You need to believe that you are capable, competent, worthy of whatever it is that you're going after. And then the connection is the link to it all because relationships drive results. You need to connect to the other person as well as to yourself. Okay, I totally agree with that, obviously, which is, you know, why you're on the show. In terms of these three things, confidence, clarity, and connection, these are awesome, although I'm going to make you qualify each one because otherwise we just have a Stuart Smalley moment where it's like, <laughs> I need confidence, clarity, and connection, and people will all get along and I'll get my results, right? People will like you. Yes, people will like you, <laughs> um, and that's and that's important. So how do we start with, or where do we start, first of all? Do we start with confidence just because that's the first thing you said, or you said also start with clarity, but that was the second thing you said. I actually think I want to start with clarity. All right. And the reason I want to start with clarity is because you must know your intent in order to achieve that intent. In your communications, in your relationships, you must be clear. Clear with what you are looking for, clear what you are trying to accomplish, and you need to be able to communicate that so the other person understands that same clarity. Okay. So what are we asking for? Like, what's becoming clear? At the most basic level here, it is your brand. At the most basic level, it's getting clear on what is the image that you want to project? How do you want to be perceived by others? How do you want to be received by others? At the most basic level, you need to be clear on that. I, I do an activity in my program where within the first five minutes, I mean, I could do it with you right now with people not being able to see you and I. It's hard to prove that I'm doing it, but I'll ask people for words that describe me and I will hide the words that I want them to say. And then when I reveal them after they give me the words, they're always there. 100% of the time, I get two out of my three words. 90% of the time, I get all three. Okay, and so that's sort of like a blind taste test for, for you? It's a way to show people that if you are clear on the perceptions you want to create about yourself, let's take somebody, you can take this from the corporate or you can take this to the date. What do you want somebody to think about you on an interview? What do you want them to think about you on the first date? You need to have a decision about that in your own mind, get clear and believe it, right? And that's where the confidence starts to come in as well in order to project it. And when you get clear on what it is you want to project, people get it. Okay. But not through some sort of metaphysical transference of ideas, right? This is through nonverbal communication, vocal tonality, et cetera, right? I mean, how are you communicating these ideas to other people? You're not telepathically telling somebody like, I'm confident, say confident. <laughs> No, it is definitely not. You know, so first it's figuring out what your words are. And that is an exercise that is about self-reflection. Absolutely. It's about collecting data from others in multiple sources. So you're looking for the consistency of here's what I want them to say. Here's what they're actually saying. Where's my gap? And then collecting a little bit more data around why is this happening? So here's an example. 
when I was uh, teaching at NYU, my first semester ever teaching, I left the finance life behind and I started teaching. And the truth is I hadn't fully left the finance life behind. I was still doing it for, for the paycheck. And I was teaching communications to undergrads at Stern. And at the end of the semester, they evaluate you. One of the words that came up again and again for me, which would not have been on my top three, was intimidating. Now, mind you, I've already told you, I barely get to the driver's license. People laughed at me when I tried to put on 411 on my license. I'm thinking to myself, how can little old me be intimidated? Yet the consistency of the information and the times that it was said to me, I had to believe there was something there. So I asked, and this is what I mean about collecting that data. What is it that I'm doing that's leading you to that impression? And then I can make tweaks. So you say, what is somebody doing? They're understanding how they're creating the impression that they don't want to create. And then when they are creating the impression that they do, they also ask for that data. So I once got that I was really friendly and approachable, which is exactly what I'm going for. And I said, well, can you tell me what it is that led you to that? And they said, well, you tell stories and, and you smile and you reveal things about yourself. And so I do more of that because that's what's giving the impression that I want. So how do we know how we're being perceived and how do we start to modify that perception? So there's an activity I want to give your listeners. It's called your three words. And it's something that if they want to look at it in detail, it is in my book, The 11 Laws of Likeability, but I can give you the, the highlights right now. Okay. Step one, you need to determine your desired brand. I want you to pick three words, three words that describe different aspects of who you are. So don't give me efficient and diligent and hardworking because it's the same thing. Give me something about how you present yourself, maybe how you interact with people, maybe something about your skill set, maybe something about your passion. Give me different aspects. Um, and the way you're going to come up with that list is first, you're going to brainstorm on your strengths. You are going to keep a list. And every time you think of something that you're good at, that you enjoy, you're going to put it on that list. You're also going to think about what you think other people would think of you. Here's what I've heard. Here's what I think they think, right? Without actually collecting any data, this is just what you think their impression is. I oftentimes get people saying, I want them to think I'm energetic. And what I really think is they think I'm serious. Right. Okay. <laughs> and those two don't match. No. So they're going to have all these words and then they're going to stare at the words and they're going to look at the ones that jump out at them as like, yeah, I love that one. I not only am good at it, I know I'm good at it and I want that one and I can embody that and I can own that. And I want them to start circling. This is not something, this is something that personally took me over a month to come up with my words. So this is something that you, you really process over time. The second step is collecting the data. I want you to ask your friends. I want you to ask your parents, your kids, your girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend, your ex-boyfriend, your frenemies. And when you ask a friend of me, you're specifically asking about a strength because we don't necessarily want to hear the rest right now. But when somebody who doesn't like you that much tells you something that you've got going for you, you can really believe that because what we're trying to do is really believe our own message. Right. So you're removing bias by getting somebody who's not necessarily your biggest fan to tell you. Exactly. So again, you're going to collect lots of data from lots of different sources over time. And if you can do it anonymously, great. But you know, if you have the source, then you can also evaluate the source. Oh, they think that, but oh, I know why they think that. And again, you're going to be looking for consistency. When I got intimidating, I got it enough that I had to listen to it. But if I only get it once, I can ignore it. And you're going to see if there's a gap. And then you are going to look about how to bridge that gap. So this is a bit of the process of getting clarity and confidence around what you want to project in your interactions. Okay, that's good. Because I think a lot of people sort of wander around being like, I don't know, I'm maybe I'm this, and then some days they feel this other way, and then other days they, they don't really think about it at all. And so their message is really muddled slash doesn't even exist because there is no message. They're just sort of floating around. And that's why the exercise I do is so powerful because it doesn't matter what situation I'm in. I've been on one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions where I asked one person and they could only give me three words. 
I did this last Friday. Both clients gave me the three words. It's a lot easier in a room where like 50 people are screaming out things at you for you to pick out the three words you want. Right. Yeah, of course. It's a lot harder when there's one person and they only give them three choices. Gotcha. Yeah, no, absolutely. So why is it important then to to get your three words and, and nail it? So this is part of clarity, right? This is part of your personal brand? Yeah. So when somebody asks a little bit about you, you're not saying it, you're embodying it. So let me ask you, let's try it. What's one word you would use to describe me? Uh, short, apparently. <laughs> I get that one a lot. <laughs> you know, friendly, because you're always, you are actually always really friendly. Maybe friendly is not the best word. It's more like positive. That actually is one of my three words. It's not the one I expected you to say, though. Give me one more. I'm going to see if the second one is the one I expect to say. Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm reaching here. Positive, friendly. So the, I don't know. I mean, articulate. I, I'm not even sure. Now you got me on the spot. So, but here's the thing. It isn't about their right or wrong answer. It's what impression are you getting from me? And the first word that came to mind was friendly. And that's great. That is absolutely one of the things that I'm trying to project. And if you had said authentic or real or down to earth or approachable or relatable, to me, they're all synonyms. Yeah, they are. I would have been happy with any one of those. And can I tell you, for a girl who wrote a book on likability, that's the one word when I don't get one, that's the one I don't get. <laughs> likability? Oh my God. When I say I always get, I get two out of the three, the one that I don't get is the one about friendly. Oh, really? Do you think it's because you're doing that in a professional environment? I think oftentimes it's because I am in front of the room and that does create a little bit of distance from a communication. And so it's hard for people to necessarily get that from me when I'm in front of a hundred people. Yeah, that might be true. Because you can't really interact with people at a very warm level if you're just lecturing. Yes. But even sometimes in, in a smaller group, that's still the one that I is a reach for me, which makes sense if some of the negative feedback I got was intimidating. That's my, that's my trade-off. So you picked up on a word, friendly. The idea behind that is, I didn't say, hey, I'm friendly, right? You can't tell somebody what you want them to get from you. You have to embody it. So then I would ask you, what is it that made you think that? Well, I mean, you're really forthcoming with email. When we talked on the phone, you were really present. You weren't really distracted. Uh, you seemed interested in what we were doing. You emailed me to follow up. I think you tweeted at me or something like that. But it wasn't like in that weird try-hard way where someone's like, I'm really excited to be on your show, so I'm going to add a lot of value by like talking to you nonstop after this call so you don't forget. It was just like nice, you know, authentic is actually what it seemed like. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad because that's that's exactly what we're talking about here. That's about being true to how you define what friendly or authentic is for you. For me, I don't want to be constantly tweeting back and forth with somebody, but I do want to just stay in your mind a little without getting in your face. And, and that's my right place. And therefore, you're getting it. And that's what I want your listeners to take away is we don't need to make it something that it's not. We need to define what it is for us because then it's really easy to be it. We don't have to try. We just be. I'm not trying. This is what you get. <laughs> Awesome. Well, good. I mean, and that's good. I think there's a certain level of trust involved in that when people know what they're getting. I've actually experienced this sort of weird phenomenon where people who don't necessarily like me all that much because I'm a little abrasive for their taste or whatever, they, they still trust me because they know I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. There's a lot of people that you trust and don't necessarily like. There's a lot of people that you trust and, of course, you also like. But there's never really anybody that you like and don't also trust. It's it's That's like very rare, I think. I have to process that one. As I'm listening, one of my thoughts for you is one of your three words might be trusting or trustworthy or trusted, because that's something that 
clearly, as I listen to you talk about it, you value in you and would be part of your sense of self to know that you are this trustworthy person and people get that from you. All right, back to the show. I would literally rather be trusted by more people than liked by more people because you can always have somebody who's just not quite your taste. And I get these kind of messages from fans all the time, especially women who I think are more tuned to like people's vibe, whereas guys just kind of take everyone as they come uh, and then later on realize they don't like people. A lot of female fans will write in and say, I love your show. I don't see myself ever hanging out with a guy like you in my actual life, but I trust everything that you say because you're a no BS guy. I'd rather have that than you're a people pleaser that everyone likes, but usually you're full of crap, which is kind of the other option there. Okay, so I think you hit on something really important in this idea of a people pleaser. And one of the things I talk about is that you cannot make people like you. I do find it kind of funny that I wrote a book about likability because I will tell you, I've never thought I was the most likable person out there. Honestly, I think I've always been rather polarizing. And it sounds like you kind of experienced that yourself. You love me or you hate me. And I'm okay with it because I'm okay with me. That doesn't mean I can't flex and moderate, not change, but moderate myself enough to enable others to see what is likable about me, whether or not we're going to become BFFs and go have drinks and our nails and wherever else, we can still garner that um, mutual appreciation or respect or distance without having to be like, you know, see, here's where I'm struggling. Liking somebody doesn't mean we have to hang out. Liking somebody can be appreciating something about them. It could be respecting something about them. It could be wanting to work with them because you do trust them. But likability is the piece of like, let's go have a drink is only one piece of it. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I think what I was sort of alluding to was being liked socially versus you can like someone, respect what they have to say and never want to be around that person. <laughs> I have plenty of people in my family like that, actually. <laughs> I mean, there's people you probably like to work with, but it doesn't mean you like to go skiing with them. That's a good point. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. You don't have to see yourself hanging out with that person socially in order to like slash respect them. If you think about the friendships that you have, a lot of people have told me that they classify their friends. This is my my drinking buddy, but this one is my when I'm upset about a guy. And this one is, you know, yeah. this is my professional sounding board. And we classify how people fit into our lives in those relationships. So we like different things about them. And so when we think about likability, what I want you to think about is, yes, be you. And, and if that's a little abrasive, great, own it. I call it your unique charm. You know, I can't count how many times people go, oh, that's just Michelle. And I like that because that's just Michelle. What that tells me is they understand how to take me in and how to process it in a positive way. It might not be what they love, but they can take it in in the right way. And that's what some of the drivers of likability enable you to do with anyone. Okay. And that, that stuff is really important, of course. I want to back up and sort of systemize this a little bit. So going back to sort of authenticity the real you is the best you, right? You've mentioned this, and I actually talk about this a lot, that you can't connect unless you're putting the real you out there. I'd like to hear why you say that, because I know why I say it, but I've never heard anyone else say it, actually. I hear people say it in weird metaphysical type of ways, which I won't get into, but I've never heard anybody be like, oh, you have to connect being authentic. It's sort of a buzzword, but nobody ever explains it. So here's the thing. If you think you're connecting with somebody who is putting on a mask, and they're coming to you and they're very formal and 
Now, Jordan, let's talk about and let's get this nice voice on and da, da, da. It feels like there is this distance between you. And until you are allowing somebody to see a little inside of you, be a little vulnerable. Vulnerability leads to credibility. Um, it leads, it leads somebody to feel trusted. And when somebody feels trusted, they want to give that trust back. And we create these foundations of, of exchange between us. But if you have that wall up, then everyone else is going to put their walls up as well. And we, we read that. So if you think you're connecting to somebody who's being inauthentic, it's not a real connection. <laughs> it's just not real. That's true. Even if you succeed in connecting with them and you get past all of their, their BS filters, they now have officially made a connection with a fake version of you. Or a fake version of them. Yes, exactly. And I think a lot of people lead their whole lives like this. We don't have to get too much into that. But I think people do this in business a lot. And I think that's a big problem because there's this whole veneer of professionalism and you've got to be this way and you've got to be that way. And I, I once I worked for an English company and I friggin hated it because not only was it an uptight, stodgy law firm, but I would get an email from somebody who was like three years, two years older than me. And she'd be like, Dear Jordan, I'm going to be in London. Would you like to get together for a coffee? And I'd be like, yo, yeah, I would love that. And she would write, yo, question mark. And I'm like, yeah, it means hello. And she goes, well, this is a work email. And I'm like, if I can't write yo in an email without you getting your you know what in a bundle, like, no, I don't want to have coffee with you. I don't know how to sip coffee with my pinky out the whole time, so I'd rather not. I can't even tell you how much it frustrates me to do that overly professional thing, especially in the interview. And I can't tell you how many people fall into that trap and I used to do a lot of mock interviews where I would help coach people on how to be on that side of the table. And immediately, as soon as I would try to ease them in, pretend I'm not interviewing them, as soon as they realized I was interviewing them, it changed. Their facial expression changed, their body changed, and they became a lot uh, more contained. I lost them. I didn't know who they were anymore. And it's very mental. I'll never forget. I went through seven rounds with one of the top consulting firms after business school. I wanted that job. It was the Harvard of consulting firms. I'm not going to name names. And I, you know, I was nailing it. I was hitting those case interviews. I, you know, I was myself. I was comfortable. We were chatting it up. And after seven rounds, I didn't get the job. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. And the only feedback I got was my style was too casual. Oh, that's so annoying. And I thought about it. I was really pissed for like a solid hour. I was not just upset. I was angry. You know, don't waste my time. You could have told me that after the first round, you know? Yeah, no kidding. And because I was who I am. And then I thought about it after an hour and I thought, oh my God, thank God you saved me from misery. Because if you are looking for that more professional style, more buttoned up, I would not have fit in. That's why I never want people to put on that buttoned up, if that's not who they are, mask in an interview and not be authentic because you're gonna to get to a place where you don't fit in. That's a great point. You can screen yourself right into the most miserable job that you've ever had, or the most miserable circle of friends, or the most miserable wife and family, God forbid, but you know that happens. Yeah, and you know, I would have taken the job. That was my goal, I wanted that job. I would have been un unhappy, I wouldn't have fit in, I might not have been successful, because when you are not working around people that you like and, and enjoy and feel respected by and fit in with, your productivity goes down, your engagement goes down, your network is not going to strengthen by it. So I actually ended up taking a job with another firm, not the highest paying offer because of the people. And it was a much better decision for me because then you can be you and drive your results in a way in which um, you're empowered. Excellent. Excellent. It becomes very exhausting 
to relate to other people in that fake way because you can't keep it up. After a while, not only is it draining for you, but the rewards are minimal because your reward when you do it correctly is you end up with a circle of people that don't know you, right? Spot on. So we get clear on ourselves. We get clear on the sort of brand that we want to promote or or portray, and we're able to relate to others in a, a more authentic way. Or actually, you know, how do we become more authentic than in take the mask off? What if we've been doing the professional mask our whole life or for years and years and years? How do we start to pry that thing off? Because it's on there. It's a really good point. And one of the things I think about is that we categorize a lot of the actions that we take into four buckets, the get to, want to, have to, and shoulds of the world. And a lot of times when the mask is on, we're in that have to or should category. And so as we start to want to peel off the inauthentic mask, we need to start looking at when is it coming out? What is driving some of those behaviors? Typically it's fear or expectation, you know, or some discomfort. It is always an avoidance of pain rather than a seeking of gain that often brings our inauthenticity. So when we start to understand in what situations it's happening, we can then break down the situations. First of all, if you've got a should, do you really need to do it? I believe in reclassifying our shoulds into either get tos or want tos or deleting them from your list. If it's a have to, then I look for people to find the peace that they can find within that have to that could be a want to or a get to. And that way they can focus on that section to bring that authentic part of themselves to that interaction, that conference, that whatever. Okay. Well, I want something a little bit more concrete if possible, because I think that a lot of folks are sitting here and they're like, am I being fake? I mean, how do we even know that we're doing it if it's been our habit for so many years? That's a great point. And I think you feel it in your body. I think you have this mental switch. And a lot of this is going to be self-awareness. So for people to start to understand when they're doing it and if they're doing it, you need to be a little bit reflective. You need to think about some of these things. It's almost like having a postmortem with yourself after that interview, after that date, after that meeting with the client. When you're rolling your own eyes in your head going, oh my God, I can't believe I laughed like, ha, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we know that's not how you laugh or how you speak. I know everybody listening right now is rolling their eyes in the back of their head over something that they did like that. I know I am. Oh, yeah. And so it's finding those moments for you and then breaking them down and understanding why did I do that? So I'll, I'll give you an example for me. Let's get concrete. Here's another job interview situation. I was interviewing with another company that I really wanted the job with. This was before business school and it was my second job ever. So I hadn't done a whole lot of interviewing. It was at a TV network. So I really wanted it. And they interviewed me on a giant sofa. If I sat back on the sofa, I would have looked like a Oompa Loompa because my, my knees wouldn't have gotten anywhere near the edge. And so I kind of positioned myself on the edge and I was very balanced and, and tight and formal and my hands were in my lap and I had nowhere to put. It was so awkward and so uncomfortable. And I found myself so distracted by the fact that I was so uncomfortable that I made the interviewer uncomfortable because I was trying to not sit back and be casual and be me. <laughs> Yeah, because you were so hell-bent on being fake Michelle, being corporate Michelle, that you start to make other people nervous. Because people mirror your state, right? It's a subconscious thing, and it's not always so woo-woo NLP, but if, if you're nervous, you'll make other people nervous, and it's subconscious. So then they don't know why you're nervous. They figure something else is wrong. They don't just go, well, she's nervous, and I became nervous because of subconscious mirroring. They just go, oh, that chick was weird, man. <laughs> exactly. Look for signs like this. When somebody is trying to make you more comfortable. So what happened in this interview was she's like, you can sit back. 
And in my head, I'm going, I would embarrass myself if I sat back because my feet won't reach the ground and I can't lean back and then I'll be slumping. And, you know, so I'm, I'm over analyzing, over processing everything in my head. And I'm looking at her going, no, no, I'm just fine. You know, <laughs> which is what I think she wants to hear. That's another cue that you're being inauthentic. When you are giving somebody what you think they want to hear, what you think is the right answer, what you think is expected in a situation versus what would be acceptable, what would be allowable, what would be you. And sometimes that's where we start to, as you said, try too hard. So when we can start to pry off these layers of, I guess, falsehood or inauthenticity, start putting forth that real you, we're clear on our goals, then what do we need to do to sort of move the process forward? Because those are huge strides. Those two things alone could take two years. Here's the thing. I want people to look for little wins because I think you're right. These things do take time. As I said, for me, it took me over a month to figure out what I want, wanted my words to be. So it's not something that's like, all right, I know what I can go out and be it now. It's something that is a stretch. And I don't want people to misinterpret discomfort with inauthenticity. There is definitely correlation. And there are times that it is because you're being inauthentic, but there's times that it's just because you're stretching yourself and you're trying something new and it's therefore uncomfortable. And so I want you to look at those moments and, and give yourself a little credit when it's like, Hey, I'm somebody who is shy. And I went out and I introduced myself to the stranger. And yes, it was weird and awkward and uncomfortable, but that was a great stretch for me. And I tried it out and I got a great reaction and process it in that way. Do think about some of the stuff of peeling off the layers is going to be a little uncomfortable. But that doesn't mean it's inauthentic. Ah, okay. Good good to know. Uh, that's a, There is a little distinction there that I think most people don't necessarily think of. I always say I want people to stretch themselves a little outside their comfort zone, but not too far. Because that's going to become more comfortable, and then they can stretch a little further. I believe in taking small steps and celebrating the wins along the way, because that creates your momentum. You need to look for your reaction and your results. And give things more than one shot you know what, you're going to go up to a girl in a bar and she's going to shoot you down. That doesn't mean you don't try again. Yeah, well, for many guys, it's absolutely what it means. <laughs> and that's what I don't want it to mean. I want that to be one piece of data and be like, okay, what I learned from that one, that line doesn't work. <laughs> or maybe that girl just wasn't that into me. And so you tried a different one. I tell my kids it takes 10 times to try a new food before they know if they like it. And they will literally be like, what number is this, mom? <laughs> The idea is the first three times you try anything new, whether it's a food or an action, it's awkward and uncomfortable. And after three, it's kind of like, well, okay, this fits a little bit better. You know, the, the shoes are breaking in, but it's not totally fitting perfectly. As you get to seven, eight, nine times, you can make a decision about, you know what, this really isn't the way I like to do things, but here's my tweak. And now, now it feels good. Back to more with Michelle Letterman. So we can't necessarily expect authenticity to feel super comfortable the first time or for several times we're doing it because we're not used to it yet for most of us. Exactly. And it's scary because you're being judged constantly. You're being evaluated and you're not always going to get the reactions you're looking for. Authenticity is about being a little bit more self-disclosing, a little bit more open to, to having some things not be exactly the way you want them to be. I used to think open was a dirty word. I, I'm like, you know what? Closed works for me. I'm good with closed. And then somebody who I did respect, but maybe not like so much, but I trusted, said to me, you're wrong. It doesn't work for you. You just think it does. And it was a really powerful moment where I had to think about the fact that, you know what? She's right. Maybe I'm keeping people at that distance and that's not the connection. And that's kind of where some of that stuff around connection comes from for me. And that to me is 
the, the final piece in the puzzle that we've been talking about. If you really want things to happen, the connection has to be there for you with your goals, for you with your messaging, and for you with that other person. What do you mean by connection then directly? Let's define that first. When I say you need to be connected, say you're going to go convince somebody of something. You're selling a product, you're selling yourself, you're giving a speech. It's that same thing around you have to like you first. You have to believe you first. You have to believe the message you're trying to put out there to convince somebody else of it. So there's a little bit of the confidence. There's a little bit of the clarity, but it's your connection to the message. Because when we're connected to something, we deliver it in a way that is self-revealing. We share our story. We tell something personal. We put our voice and our body. If you could see me right now, I'm animated and I'm gesturing and you can't see me, but it's still there because I believe in everything I'm saying versus me saying, well, here's what you need to do. And you can hear the difference of somebody else's connection to what they're telling you in how they deliver. But really connection comes down to two people. You know, for example, when we did talk that first time, that curiosity, you know, there's some great information in your LinkedIn profile. And nowadays it's almost disrespectful not to go check somebody out a little bit before you talk to them. And so by a sign of respect, I checked you out a little bit. And then I had some questions for you because you got a unique story and I wanted to know a little bit more about it. But I also picked up on the fact that it might not have been a thing you really wanted to talk about. So we re redirected and we talked about other stuff. Yeah, it's, it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> That's right. That's the idea of being able to flex. Just because I was curious doesn't mean that's the thing that we're going to connect on. I always scroll down all the way to the bottom of somebody's LinkedIn profile. So here's a tip for your listeners. Always add that information about hobbies or interests and not just the professional stuff. Because I can't tell you how many times I have connected with people, whether it is a journalist, uh, a potential client, it could be somebody in an audience over animals or skiing or travel, which are three of my passions. But animals is the one that probably comes up the most because if I ever reference a dog, I mean, it just sparks that conversation from any other animal lover out there. And then I get to tell them that I got to bottle feed a Siberian tiger and that I've ridden on an elephant and I had a monkey jump on my head. And the stories just go and, and we talk about these experiences that we care about. We find those points of connection of things that might be a common interest, a common experience, a common value, a common skill, and we can connect. Now that we're putting the authenticity, the confidence, the connection, and of course, starting with the clarity, how do we start to, how do we stay in people's mind once we connect with them? You know, how do you maintain the relationships that you start to create? So this is the law of familiarity. And as I said before, you want to be very careful with familiarity. You want to stay in their mind, but you don't want to get in their face. And I think a lot of people are challenged with where's that right line. And I can give you some very prescriptive things to do. For example, when you reach out to somebody, increase the time between each reach out point. So if you reach out one day, you wait a week. And after the next one, maybe you wait a month. And then you wait, you know, so you stretch it out. Um, you also reach out to them in different ways. So it's not always, let me send a new email. Let me add them to my mail list. Let me call them. And you find different ways to have that points of connection come in. So we can be very prescriptive about it. Yeah, you're right. I'm starting to get a feel for this because this happens to me all the time where someone will email me and be like, Hey, I'm interested in your show and I like this and I've got this suggestion for you. And you're like, okay, thanks. And they're like, oh, you replied. And then they email you the next day and then the next day and then they skip a day and then they email you the next day. It's like they're disguising it as like, hey, here's something you might be interested in. Oh, here's another thing that I thought of you when I saw this. And I'm like, 
you just want something from me, but you're looking for excuses to like make small talk via email first. It becomes too much. This guy who is really an unappealing dude, uh, he would email me and he's like, I'm looking for a job. And I'm like, well, I, I don't really, I would never hire you because I don't know you. And that's insane. I'm almost offended that you asked, but you, obviously you don't know any better. I was like, well, you know, all of our students or all of our coaches come through our programs and then they get trained and stuff. And he was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll do that. And then he went back and forth trying to impress me with how awesome he is for through various means. And then I, you know, just, just when I started to get sick of him, he started sending me articles like, hey, you thought you might be interested in this. And it was all these really irrelevant articles that had nothing to do with anything I would ever be interested in. It was just something that like came across his desk and he decided to forward and ask me the same question over and over again. And I was like, hey, thanks, not super into all this stuff, but I appreciate you reaching out. And then, he, of course, he tried the Hail Mary, which was, let me know when you get over your ego and then maybe I'll share my story with you. And I was just like, oh my God, how do I make you go away? <laughs> and you were very patient throughout all that. And, and that's the problem is there's some things that he did in there that could have been good, but the fact that he overdid them is what made them bad. Yes. Sending one article, if it was of true interest, something related to the conversation that you had, you know, and you added something maybe specific in the article, not just, hey, I saw the title and I sent it to you, but I actually read it first. And here's why I thought you might be interested. Just showing a little bit more effort and then doing it once and leaving it alone. When we think about familiarity, there's a couple of different things. One, you can use light touches. So he was not using light touches. He was using a little bit of a heavier touch. He was actually trying to add value, which is great in theory, um, but it actually has to be valuable to the other person. So a light touch is something where you connect to somebody and your name comes back up, but you're not asking for them to do anything, not even for a response. It could be the simple happy birthday. I think I did that to you recently because I got the note that it was your birthday. That's right. And I did nothing more than say, have a great day. It required no response. You happened to respond, but it wouldn't have mattered. It was simply like, hey, you popped up. You're in my head. I'm hoping you have a great day. And when I do that, I always write more because sometimes they give you the auto response and they get an exclamation point. Happy birthday, Jordan. And I write my note. <laughs> you know, for people who I know a little bit better, I might say, you know, celebrate with some excess or, you know, so if I know something about them, I'll, I'll encourage a certain type of celebration if it's a birthday note. And that's it. It's a light touch. Um, it could be a congratulations. You're graduated from this. You won this award. I saw you. Uh, quote in this article, congrats, great article. Again, requires no response. So I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking anything for you. I'm just saying, hey, your name popped up in my world. That was cool. And my name might pop back up on yours. People who aren't really skilled networkers, they don't follow the axiom that we talk about here, which is you need to be digging your well before you're thirsty. And so this guy who just wanted a job and a little bit of an ego boost, when he didn't get it, he's like, I'm gonna send you valuable stuff. But I was like, I know you just wanna continue this conversation after I already said no. So there's no real value here. You're just trying to sort of dupe me into continuing a conversation, which I actually am finding pretty annoying. When that didn't work, instead of taking the hint, he got angry about it. So there's a lot wrong there, but I think a lot of people do this, where they're like, I'm gonna be in touch with this person a ton, and then as soon as it becomes like, oh, I'm not gonna get what I want out of this interaction because I'm not just doing it for the sake of actually adding value or creating a network, I'm just trying to get something. What really burns the connection is then when you find out you're not gonna get what you want, that you just vanish. And then the person goes, oh, thanks for reaffirming my gut instinct, which was that you just wanted something. And now that I told you you weren't gonna get it, you're, you're basically, I'm dead to you, I got it. So then the next time when you reach out with anything, 
I'm essentially just going to ignore you because I know you just want something again and I'm back on your radar because of that. True connection is absolutely a long-term investment. So for example, I had a call today with somebody who was in my, it's called a relationship driven leader, but it's a program based on my book. And she was in the pilot session and I hadn't known her before that session. We talked during it and I said, Oh, you know, let's chat. So we had our follow up call today and I was trying to understand a little bit more about what she does. And I, you know, I always ask the question, is there anything I can do to help you? What do you need right now? And I could not figure out what she did or how to help her whatsoever. She said that she was somewhat a recruiter. I know that's really limiting what she really does, but I'm going to call her a recruiter. And she goes, I'm always looking for strong candidates. I said, well, you know, I know a lot of people. Feel free to look through any of my contacts. And if there's somebody you want, I'm happy to to connect you. And she goes, I really should take you up on that, but I'm not ready. And I said, look, the offer's not going anywhere. You can reach out to me in a year or two. I'm not going to forget you. And I'm not because there was a true connection already made. And so as we think about how to create value for somebody, we don't want to push that value on them. We want to present that value to them and they can take it or leave it. I think that's what's lost in a lot of people. It's like, I'm giving you value. What the hell? What's your problem? I did all this stuff for you. It's like forced reciprocity. You know, and sometimes it's really funny. I've had situations where I didn't even know I was being valuable. And it was the coolest moment when I thought when I was told I was, (laughs) you know, and we've all been in those situations where we're with somebody who is far more successful than us. And I had this circumstance with a CEO of a public company. You know, this guy is so freaking successful. I couldn't believe I had an audience with him. And it turned, you know, he was a friend of a friend. And when I talked about um, something I was trying to do, she had said, do you want to meet him? And I had to carry my jaw off the ground and said, yes, please. And so I had this lunch with this man and I presented him a business idea. He knew that's what we were coming to talk about. He shot down my idea within 10 minutes flat. (laughs) Wow. And we had a lovely lunch. He wouldn't let me pay. You know, he said something that I've never forgotten to this day. He said, you're in love with the idea of the business, not the business of the business. And he was right. I loved what it would do for people, but there was no financial business behind it. It didn't make sense as a business. And he was absolutely right. And he saved me a lot for that sentence. And so he ended up inviting me to his office, which he was closing down that shop. And since it started two other companies, um, one of which also has gone public. I mean, this guy's really successful. I went to his office and I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to learn what he does. And I don't know why, but I'm going to sit here and learn and understand what he does. (laughs) And he's like techie. I'm not techie. This was so over my head. And so I asked him questions. And all of a sudden, he sits back. I mean, he does the Oprah arms behind the head, legs straight out. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, give me a lot to think about, Michelle. Thanks. And I'm in my head doing little backflips going, oh, my God, really? (laughs) A question was valuable to you? Yay. You know, (laughs) little things like that can really be valuable. And as I left his office, I I called my husband and I said, this guy's trying to do this. And do you have any ideas? And my husband gave me, I'll never forget. He said, Moogle. I don't know what Moogle is to this day, but that was the answer. And I sent this information off to the CEO and he responded in five minutes saying, oh my God, this is so great. Thanks so much. He could have figured it out himself. He would have been able to Google it himself. But by actually doing some of the effort for somebody else and, and saving them a few minutes of time, I'm still friends with him 12 years later and went to his New Year's Eve party. And we have lunch every Christmas and actually just emailed with him today. (laughs) And of course, you're doing it all so you can get something from him later or not. I just like him, to be perfectly honest. Go figure. You can actually have a real relationship with somebody you don't want something from. (laughs) And here's the thing about likability. I don't believe in pursuing the relationships that you think will get you somewhere. Yes. I believe in pursuing the relationships that you are enjoying. I really enjoyed him. I I found him to be inspirational. 
I found him to be a mentor, but I also found him to be fun to be around. He and I um, tried to break into the High Line before it opened and almost got arrested. It was fun. (laughs) At least one of you had bail money in his pocket, right? (laughs) You know, we took walks in the rain. It was bizarre. And there was times where I really felt that I could be valuable to him in ways. And I think that's also probably what kept me in it was because it's hard sometimes when it's a one-sided relationship. And because of our respective levels of success when we met, you know, it was definitely more one side than the other, but I was able to bring things over time. And when he needed certain things, I was able to introduce him to certain people and it was great. And so that's what creates a long-term relationship. I don't know if anything specifically will ever come from it and I don't care. I have a contact that is valuable to me in my life. You know, I get value from the conversation because he's somebody who's a good sounding board. Not all results are tangible. Sometimes it's not the result that that person gives you, but the fact that they know the person who can give you results and they might connect you. So when you connect with the people you want to connect with and you create that real relationship and that real connection and that um, authentic interaction, then that person is going to be real easy to introduce you to somebody um, that you need to meet because it's a warm introduction and you don't have to, you know, pound the pavement. I always say when you are connected and a connector, you get your result faster and easier. Thank you so much. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you want to tell the audience? I want to tell them how to get in touch with me. So because I I want to be in touch with everybody. Well, definitely. We'll have that linked up in the show notes um, as well, because you've got a bunch of websites and, you know, 11 laws of likability dot com, et cetera. And so we'll have heroes get hired. Great URL, uh, by the way. And we'll have all of that stuff linked in the show notes as well. But is there anything that you want to teach the audience that you haven't had a chance to do? Maybe I should have asked that. Yes. The one thing I always like people to leave with is the idea of not networking for need. And I think that's something we've been talking about, but let's just solidify it. Don't network for need when you want something, when you're trying to get something. Don't network for now in the instant. Network for life. Because that long-term network that you build is the one that will sustain you and be there when you do need it. As you said, um, what was your phrase? Build the well before you need to drink from it? Dig the well before you're thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. It is the only way and the way that you will enjoy networking. Well, thank you very much, Michelle. This has been super useful. I know that uh, networking, connecting, a lot of people go, oh, another one on this. But for every one of those, I get 10 emails that are like, thank you. Because this is such a tough skill set. It's one of the most rewarding skill sets in business and personal relationships. And it's one of the most ignored because people are afraid of it. And also because people always have a different idea of how this is done. And they think that having someone's phone number in their Rolodex or knowing someone's email address is a networking connection or a relationship. I actually hate the word networking. It has the word work in it. My publisher was like, you have to have the word networking in your title. And I said, well, can we call it relationship networking? Because that's really what's most important. And let's everyone out there phrase it with that word in front, and maybe it'll feel a little different. Excellent. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks, Jordan. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Getting that clarity on your personal brand and how you show up to others is always a tricky thing, and it's constantly evolving. You, you know, you'll do this one year, and it'll be one thing. You'll do this the next year or the next three years. It'll be something totally different. It changes with the phase of your life, but you want to make sure that you're managing that so that other people are getting the message that they're picking up what you're trying to put down, in other words, and bringing value over the long term. Thank you, Michelle, for clarifying that. There's a lot of people out there that don't get that. It took me years to figure it out, and I'm really glad that we're now able to tell other people how this kind of should be done. So I hope you guys dug that. Show feedback and guest suggestions. Of course, the show's a fanarchy. It's run by you, so 
I'm always keen to hear about the latest and greatest guests to keep my finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit, email me. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Michelle on Twitter. We'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. Our live program details are at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. And of course, write us a nice review. If you write something, it helps us outrank the other schmucks who just pay for ads and internet marketing to get their show to the top of the ranks. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. And please tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 